Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because, because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the Lord, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do we pray for Sarah this evening? We pray that you will bring transformation this evening and that she will stir our hearts. And I just pray that you will steady her heart and that she will have confidence in the preparation that's gone into this world. We just ask you to speak through Sarah this evening. Amen. Thank you. Um, so, tonight I want to address what we mean by treasure and to explore what its value is and to look at the effect that the treasure will have in our lives. When Ellie was five, actually, when we had kids, we decided that we would teach them how to hear God. And so we spent a lot of time and energy just um, teaching them about that and how to be prophetic. And when Ellie was five, 
I remember saying to her, we were crossing the road, we'd had about five minutes listening, and I said, so what do you feel God's saying to you today? And she said, Mummy, God says that I'm beautiful and lovely and I'm perfect in every way. And uh, so I spent the next couple of minutes just explaining that, you know, we had to be a bit careful. And then, to be honest with you, I've spent the last few years repenting. (laughs) Because actually, that's what I want to talk about tonight. A revelation of the Father's love over us. And it sums up the message of the gospel of grace for me, the ministry of the Spirit that Paul's talking about and demonstrating in. You see, the thing is, there is a set of rules, the Ten Commandments, and it's great to have them because we know where we're at and we know what we're striving for. And the problem is that it's marred by our awareness of our shortcomings. And the presence of a rule by nature of the fact that we're human means that we're rule breakers. And if we think we've got away with the Ten Commandments, Jesus sort of added quite a few comments on, didn't he? Like, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. And if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery, etc. So actually, it is as though the approachable nature of, of God is kind of marred in our hearts, diminished in our hearts like the veil separating us from the knowledge of God's personality. So here there's a comparison of the ministry of Moses and then Paul and the the disciples. The difference seems to be before and after Jesus. So there's this impartation of the Holy Spirit to them in more fullness that happens. Moses describes this bar too high for anybody to attain, this glory that's too bright for anybody to keep their eyes fixed on. Paul is described, him and his friends, as very bold. He's describing himself as having a freedom in the spirit of the Lord. He's describing his life as being changed, not changing himself, to become more like God with this same glory. The difference is Jesus. The difference is grace. So Paul says that we have this treasure. Basically, he's saying there's this freebie on offer. There's this freebie. You can get to know what God's really like. You can experience the presence of Father God. And you can encounter him today. And you don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to do anything to get it. You just have to be there and say yes. That's quite radical, isn't it? You see, Jesus said, if you open the door to me, I'll come and eat with you. What does that mean, really? What does that really mean? Yeah, it's about him getting to know us, but it's about us getting to know what he's really, really, really like. I think he wants us to experience more intimacy so that we get a bit more excited about what we're sharing. If we don't think it's good news, if we don't think that we have treasure, then we're not really going to overflow with much, are we? We're just going to survive and have enough to get by. But I actually think that God wants the more for us. 
Um, so let's see what's the value of this. Well, I remember when I was selling my house that the estate agent phoned me up and said, Mrs. Buckley, your house is worth what people are prepared to pay for it. We were negotiating what price we put on the market for. And so have a look. Let's see what was Paul prepared to pay. What are people prepared to pay for this treasure in jars of clay? So the person who ministered the gospel, he'd be found in public places taking this message of grace and demonstrating it in signs and wonders. So people would probably get healed and delivered and converted to Jesus, which resulted with quite a hard time for him and his friends. And uh, people carry baggage, don't they? There was a threat to the Jewish order of the day. There was probably a threat to the physicians and sorcerers who would practice healing because their businesses might be put out. I remember when we were in St. Paul's in Bristol ministering to the prostitutes. Actually, the prostitutes coming to Christ wasn't so much of an issue so much as the people that controlled them, the pimps and the drug pushers who got angry with what we were doing. So there's opposition. You see, to some, chapter 2, verse 16, to some we are the smell of death and to some we're the fragrance of life. Death really smells if anyone's been by a dead body or rotten flesh. I remember it was the first thing that I used to try and avoid on the list of things to do as a nurse, you know, the dressings where there was necrotic tissue were the ones to avoid because they really stank. And you just want them out of your way. And actually that's what we're like to some people. They don't understand the stupidity of our actions or our beliefs. Sometimes they think that worship and prayer is a waste of time. Why do we do it? Why do we forgive people? Why do we honour the boss in the workplace? Why do we stand up for what's right, especially when there's a cost? Maybe the threat of our existence is too much. Well, Paul reminds us that this treasure is carried in jars of clay. You see, we're humans and we are not without fault and we're not without emotions and we're breakable. In Middle Eastern days, the material of of clay was the material of the common person, I read. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, basically, Paul's just trying to say, actually, we're just real people, everyday people that God's chosen to put this amazing message of grace in, this amazing power that can help others encounter the living Christ. We're nothing special, so that there'll be a contrast between the ordinary and the extraordinary. Paul's lot were in prison, flogged, homeless. That's just a few things. I remember being um, in India last year, and one of the days we were sent out to a village where... The people leading the mission originally in setting it up had been um, beaten just a couple of years before. I mean, I was quite nervous. <laughs> Even though they'd established a school and a medical centre in that village, and yet still there were the persecutions of the Christians. Why don't we give up? Why don't, didn't they give up? Why, why carry on? Why not retaliate? Something came through the door actually last week. Damara Skioko had only been married for one week when her husband Jackson was killed by a violent mob. Jackson and his friend were planning an evangelistic outreach in Mombasa City. This angered some local people. The two men were lynched. 
and their bodies were set on fire and she lost her husband. So why, why does she carry on? Three years later, three months later, she's writing another album, another worship album. We don't need to look very far to remind ourselves that Christians are prepared to pay quite a high price. I think that there's a treasure there worth tapping into. So Paul says we're hard-pressed. This means that we're squeezed like an orange in a presser, but we're not crushed. The life does not come out of us. We're despairing sometimes. We're at a loss. He was at a loss how to continue at times, but we're still hopeful. It's difficult to get your head around, isn't it? Persecuted, that word actually means pursued like animal prey, hounded, and they were. Yet, we're not alone, we're aware of God's presence, he's saying. You see, Paul had in him this, I'll be with you always. He had this intimacy with Jesus. He had an inner strength, and he knew a power at work in him in his weakness and I I think you know Simon Peter he said Lord where else would we go it's the best thing really isn't it nowhere else to go so it's about encountering him the name changer the one that turns your life upside down gets to your heart gets to you on the inside so that you start living from the inside out, not the outside in. So it's more than just for now, for pleasure, for me. It's more than just the pressures of the present day. You start wanting to somehow please him because you love him, not because you have to. It's not a cold act of obedience anymore. It's actually, I really don't want to upset him today. I met a a friend, actually, who I'd not seen for a number of years. I'd lost contact with her um, a couple of weeks ago. I bumped into her on this course, and um, I just asked her, I said, Samantha, tell me how you came to Jesus, because I like hearing stories like that. And she said, "Um, have you never heard my testimony? I said, no, I've never heard your testimony. And she said, well, this is John, and he'll tell you. Um, John was with her, and uh, Samantha grew up um, having been adopted into a, a really good family, a middle-class family, who gave her a really good education, provided for her. She was with her brother as well, which was amazing. But she was never really able to talk in the family. They didn't really talk about feelings much, and she never really got a chance to process the abandonment that she felt as a child. And so when she left home to do an OT course, she she wanted to become an occupational therapist, I can't remember where, she couldn't cope, and she lost it. And she took drugs, and drugs led to heroin, and heroin led to homelessness. And she was on the streets. And she'd gone from this middle-class child to an adult that just couldn't cope. And she met John, who was also a heroin addict, and they ended up living together on heroin. And there was this day they decided that they were going to give up because it was just messing their lives up too much and they couldn't afford it. They thought, right, we're going to really try hard now. 
Um, Sam wasn't doing so well. John was on day two or three, and his brother phoned him, and um, he'd, he'd just come out of prison. He said, can I come and see you? Because I've got something really important to tell you. So the fact that he was let in through the door on day two or three of detox is quite a miracle in itself, because it's not a great time. If you know anything about it, you, basically you feel really ill. You have muscle cramps and spasms and you feel like you've got a flu in your whole body. You don't sleep. You might have hallucinations. Um, it's a really hard time. But this brother of John came to the house and they went, Oh, you've found God, haven't you? He's like, No, seriously, guys, I really have. And this brother had found Jesus in prison. And he said, I just want to pray for you. That's all I want to do is just pray for you. And they sort of are gone then. And so Sam didn't get prayer, but John did. And, uh, yeah, John did. And that night, John slept like a baby. All his symptoms went. He felt an electric power go through his body. That's what he described it as. And the next day, he felt so well that he ran to the shops to do the groceries. <laughs> and Sam wanted to know where the heroin was because she thought that he'd had something because he looked so well. And they had this little row about it. And he was converted to Jesus because Jesus met him where he was at. There wasn't a conversation about Jesus dying on a cross and saying the sinner's prayer and repenting and blah, blah, blah. He simply encountered the living Jesus through his brother. And then Sam became a Christian and she, I said, what are you doing now? She said, oh, well, I'm ministering to people who are in a mental health unit who self-harm. And she's sitting there with scars all up her arms where she had history of self-harm. And I said, do you mind if I share your story in my preach because I'm talking about jars of clay. And uh, she said, no, do. Call me Sam. It's fine. You don't have to cover my name up or anything. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. That is amazing that somebody from such a difficult background can be used in ministry in the chaplaincy team in a mental health unit that's a life turned round. that's an encounter and just in case you think oh well that's not for me because you know I didn't have her own problem and I'm not poor and blah 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 you know um, I remember being um, in a meeting somewhere and somebody telling me of, of a lawyer who used to be a divorce lawyer and he got converted and became a marriage counsellor I mean, God does that, doesn't he? I think it's wonderful. So what effect does all this have? As if that's not enough. In verse 15, Paul testified of Jesus so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow. Isn't it interesting that the first thing he talks about is thanksgiving? He doesn't talk about bowed heads and converted souls. He talks about thanksgiving. This kind of smacks of an encounter experience to me that somebody somewhere is really grateful for and it overflows and it has a knock-on effect. When Jesus was at the wedding, he used the jars that had been set aside for ceremonial washing according to Jewish customs. Isn't that ironic? And he turned the water that was in there not just into wine but choice wine. You know, not your average Morrison's Merlot. <laughs> Ask Mark Niche if you want a, a good red wine. <laughs> he, 
he says, it says that he, he turned it into the choicest wine. It wasn't just cheap wine. They used to give cheap wine after you'd had a few, because actually after a few, anything tastes good, so you wouldn't really notice. And I think, you know, John could have, um, he could have had a Lefexidine or methadone detox. He could have gone and found something courtesy of the council or Salvation Army. But Jesus gave him the best detox. And what a powerful effect that had. Our reference point has to be receiving so that we can give from the overflow. Do we sometimes see ourselves as helping, needing to help God in some way, needing to add to what he's done, needing to do? I know I do. Um, This is so different to knowing that he takes a real good pleasure in including us in the plans that he's already got. (laughs) You know, he'll get there anyway. (laughs) I think it's worth touching on the characteristics of a religious spirit, actually. I felt this is what God wanted to say tonight. It, It talks of having the appearance of righteousness, but a heart that's cold, whitewashed. Tombs is another term to describe it. In chapter 4, verse 2, it says, We have renounced the secret and shameful ways. There's often an unhealthy um, secrecy about failings and weaknesses when we have a religious spirit. It's keeping stuff in the dark rather than sharing with one another, confessing to one another, bringing stuff into the light um, so that we know his forgiveness and acceptance and getting on with things. There's an intolerance of others' shortcomings because somehow we feel that um, it's it's better to have the spotlight on somebody else and an insecurity about that which leads to the undermining and, you know, slander behind backs, moaning, grumbling about people because we're not comfortable enough just to level, to level it out with one another or better still to just forgive before we get to that stage. So that angry power struggles sometimes around position, public acknowledgement. I'm just going to talk about Ellie for a sec. I asked her permission. We went to town the other day to buy some clothes, <laughs> which is what I usually spend my time doing when I'm with Ellie. For her. <laughs> um, she's in this group of friends. There's about seven of them, and they call themselves the squad. And uh, I said, do you know, does, does it get a little bit, you know, with the hormones at 14, does it get a little bit intense sometimes, seven of you girls together hanging out? Oh, yeah, she said, all the time, yeah. I said, so you have, like, rows and stuff? And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, so how, how what does that look like with seven of you? That must be pretty messy. And she said, oh, well, no, Mum, you see, because we have this ground rule that if two people have a disagreement, they have to sort it out. And we don't take sides, we're not allowed to take sides, and we have to encourage them until it's dealt with. And I thought, wow, it would be so cool if we had the squad's ground rules in church. (laughs) Colossians 3, 8 to 10. Rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. I think that's the language of dissension and disunity. You have taken off your old self with all its practice and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. 
Isn't it interesting that even the new self needs renewing? When I spend time thinking and dwelling on my identity as his daughter and all that that entitles me to, to be filled with a fullness that comes from him, to live in the overflow, not just to get by, I find that I don't want to upset him. I find that when I do make a mistake, I go quicker to him in those times. And it's not a big deal. It really isn't a big deal. It's like, okay, then that's fine. (laughs) When I'm not in that place and I'm too busy to focus, it's harder. And it's like I'm trying to lay this spiritual egg of getting it right, (laughs) you know, of overcoming my sin. Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, speak in tongues, heal the sick. They will overcome the enemy's attacks. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to do this. Wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, prophecy, miracles. I'm very excited about that. We need discernment of spirits, we need tongues, interpretation. Jesus did not say, when my spirit comes on you, you will receive the ability to carry out a really good argument with people to tell and convince them that I am the Lord. He said, you will be powerful. Power to be my witnesses. To be my witnesses. I remember one morning when God woke me up and said that to me. I was like, okay. Didn't know quite what the day was going to hold. I was pretty normal. I was one of them jars of clay with a few knocks on it. You know, I was sometimes quite a fishwife in those early days of having toddlers around my feet and... uh, I remember the neighbour saying, I used to be a fishwife as well, Sarah, don't worry about it. I could hear you through the chimney this morning. (laughs) So, you know, I was far from perfect, but this is what God said to me that morning. And I went, okay. Anyway, later on, this plumber that came to fix the boiler seems to be a running theme in my life. Uh, (laughs) And he said to me, God said, tell the guy that his baby's going to be okay. How do I do this? So I wrote down in a card to them, congratulations. (laughs) I was praying for the worker that came to my house today and really felt God say that the baby's going to be okay. So I got some biscuits, put them in a bag and went into the bathroom where this guy was working and I said, "Um, I know you might find this a bit weird, but have you got a baby? (laughs) And he said, oh, my wife's just got pregnant. It's a really stressful time. It's her first and we're so anxious about it. And I said, well, it's funny, but God said to me this morning, the baby's going to be okay. And he's like, oh, thanks very much. And he took the bag home for his wife. And I just think, actually, that was what God called me to do that day. I don't know what came from that. I don't know what happened later. I don't know whether the guy became a Christian, but I'm really pleased that I was included in that because I got a little glimpse of God's heart for people. And 
Tim and I have this friend um, who has a Christian neighbour. And we spend so much time trying to unpick what the neighbour has been saying to this friend of ours. It's really hard. Um, This neighbour's model of evangelism goes something like this. Did you know that you were going to hell? And Jesus died so that you didn't have to go to hell. And this poor guy, (laughs) you know, we, we kind of spend a few times seeing him saying, well, it's not, you know, it's not as doesn't have to be quite like that and isn't it interesting that when he had a car crash with his three kids in the car in a head-on collision did he go to his neighbor to talk about it to ask for help no he phoned us up because I think people just want to know what it is to be loved sometimes and accepted Jesus does not give cheap wine he saves the best. I think that's where I'm done. I think it would be good actually this evening, I know I need it, if we opened ourselves up to, to his spirit, to just say, yes, Lord, I need you. I need your power to be a witness. I need to be myself. I need to be my supernatural self in the moment. Where I find myself, wherever that is, I need it in order to overflow with your agenda to people wherever I find myself. I need to pray. (laughs) So, Father, thank you that your favour rests on us. I thank you that we cannot add to anything that you've done. That, Lord, you do see us as perfect. You do see us as beautiful. That before you we can stand unashamed. That we can approach you and others with a boldness that comes from heaven. With the freebie that we have from you. Lord, I pray that you change the way that things have been done. Lord, I stand in the gap and I'm sorry for the times when your people have got it wrong. I'm sorry when we haven't had hearts of compassion, when we haven't had spirits that are flexible and open enough to what you want to do in the moment through us. Please, would you change how things are done? Please, would you breathe your breath of life, your ruach, your power over us tonight, Lord? Please, would you release the gifts of your Holy Spirit? No matter who we are, or our baggage is, or where we're at with you, Lord, our hearts are just to say yes to you. We come as we are confident that you say you'll give us a good thing when we ask for it that you do powerful things in this city amongst those who have never encountered you Amen